This album is dedicated to all brothers and sisters. My men and my women. And yo, it's time. Put our hands together. Hip hop, hip hop. Because we want to talk about y'all is hip hop. The stories of hip-hop, of rap music, are the stories of a million MCs who inside of them the words are coming, the words they need to make sense of the world around them. The words are witty and blunt, abstract and linear, sober and fucked up. And when we decode that torrent of words, by which I mean really listen to them with our minds and our hearts open, we can understand their world better, and ours too. It's the same world. This is Rhymes and Reasons. All right. Uh, my name is Van Newkirk. I go by Five Fifths a lot when I write online. Blogger, freelance writer, um, you know, been a hip-hop head for most of my 26 years on this earth. So the first song that, that I have is Equimini. For me, Equimini is like the equivalent of the first time you met, I guess, your significant other person you meant to be with in life and you knew like the moment you knew that was a criminal for me the song and the album i was uh 10 years old when it came out um in 98 it was actually the first album that my parents bought me the first cd that my parents bought for me was a criminal i got it for christmas in 98 and i listened to that thing so much it wore out the laser on my little stereo <laughs> I can you know recite the Quimina. I can recite that song forwards and backwards and I actually think I want to put part of the um, the hook Andre's hook on my actual wedding vow even the sun goes down heroes eventually die horoscopes off the line sometimes why none is for sure nothing is for certain none lasts forever but until they close the curtain and for the vows I swapped out it's him and I with her Twice upon a time there was a boy who died Lived happily ever after But that's another chapter live from Home of the brave with dirty dollars Beauty parlors, baby ballers Bowling ball and parlors, street scholars So my parents actually weren't really big on hip-hop I don't think they're the strictest parents in the world But you know at the time I was only 10 and they were trying to uh, at least keep me from the explicit versions of stuff. It was, I think it was actually an accident that they got it. Two days later, they bought me The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill and they also bought me Black Star. And I think they were told by a friend that those were sort of like positive things, you know, and Equimini was sort of just thrown in there. But it definitely has a bit more of an edge than those two albums. and. I'm not sure they knew what they were getting into and that what they were getting in, but I'm glad. No, so don't get caught up in appearance. It's outcast equipment, another black experience.
and the sign goes down. What gets me about the song, I think the first thing is the lyricism. Being a Southerner, I never heard a Southern cat rap quite like both Big and Andre did in that song. There's a part near the end where the music comes back in and they both have a verse. And Andre's verse, you know, my mind warps and bends, floats the wind, count the... Yeah, like, that little sequence he does, that back and forth in the end, even back then, not knowing much about, you know, rhyme schemes and, and all that stuff, like, it, it blew me away. And I think, I still think, even having had, you know, gone through so much more music now, I still think that's maybe the best minute and a half in hip-hop. My mind warps and bends, floats the wind, count to ten, meet the twin, Andre Ben, welcome to the lion's den. A rich and no skin, many men comprehend, I extend myself, so you go out and tell a friend. Sin all depends on what you believe in, and faith is what you make it, that's the hardest shit since MC Ren. Alien can blend right on in, which you can look again, cause I swear I spot one every now and then. It's happening again, wish I could tell you when, Andre, this is Andre, y'all is just gonna have to make amends. The sun goes down, heroes eventually die, horoscopes often lie. When I was in Charlotte, both my parents were sort of struggling academics. My mother was a teacher. She was always going up to school. I think she got two masters while I was a kid. My dad pursuing two masters and a PhD, and his PhD was residential in D.C. So I, I was latchkey from about the time I could walk. I took care of my sister and pretty much, you know, had free reign in the house myself. My parents, they didn't hate hip hop. My dad kind of grew up on the, the early, early wave of when hip hop was just being formed, you know, Curtis Blow. But I think they were really concerned about me getting caught up in a lot of the, you know, mafioso. You know, I think a lot of the cursing as well. So I actually think my parents' studies are what actually led them to accept hip-hop in my life and except outcast so my dad's a historian he's actually an african-american studies historian and he was going to get his phd in african-american studies from howard when i first picked up hip-hop when i went to them and explained what it meant to me and you know how i f was able to see all these things that he had seen in his music it was a lens that you know i saw like the black struggle through i was able to come to terms with my own image and, and, and self he was able to see that he was able to see himself and how he came to age with george clinton and parliament funkadelic and you know you think about it they're not too much different than outcast of reality you mad at me boy how you gonna handle me you want me to lollygag and talk that bullshit i refuse to play so i'm gonna speak that southern good shit that harder than your hood shit little shit that make y'all niggas think about the trigger before you pull it on liquor stores and banks some folks got more than enough bullets to put that ass off in the slang don't claim no game we the niggas that did that ain't no thing with a chicken wing but still dope how you gonna play a nigga like dildo we outcast till it's over barbecue and never meal dough for real bro yeah. tonight's news 20th century technology has a computer age scientists and doctors gone too far I think a lot of the narratives in hip-hop were things that I was able to celebrate with and able to enjoy, but they didn't really resonate in my chest. You know, again, I was, what, 10 years old, first stumbling into it, and I was the biggest nerd out. I held on to Power Rangers way too long. <laughs> I was into anime early, all the different series of Star Trek, 
that were on TV at the time. You know, we had Deep Space Nine, we had Voyager. You know, I was a big science fiction nerd. So I started getting into Octavia Butler and some Afrofuturist artists. So for me, being able to see, I think, somebody like Andre, being able to see somebody that was, you know, so totally self-developed and unconcerned with like what was cool. He made cool. You know, he was a regular black kid that went to art school. That meant a whole lot to me. Being able to see people in the arts who have sort of, you know, similar stories to you, people that you can imagine you would sit down and have a conversation with if they weren't millionaires, billionaires, whatever. I feel like when they succeed, you sort of succeed with them. You feel it. It felt like a part of me had you know, succeeded in that way. Escúchela, la ciudad respirando. Escúchela, la ciudad respirando. Escúchela, la ciudad respirando. Escúchela. The new moon rode high in the crown of the metropolis Shining like who on top of this? People were sussling, arguing and bustling Gangsters of God thumb, hardcore hustling The second song for me is Most Def and Talib Kweli as Black Star and Respiration And I actually got that song a couple days after I got to Equimini So I definitely have an early career bias here But I think most people would also agree that it's a, you know timeless classic within the genre. It was also my first time listening to Common. And this is, I guess, is before all three of them, um, you know, Yasin Bey, Talib Kweli, and Common started, I think they started getting off the rails a little bit towards, you know, mid-career, late career, because I think once you have a message, it's so hard to make music that's not on message. And it's so hard to keep the message without, without you know, being preachy. So then for me was, all three of them at their sort of superpowers at telling stories that had a message but they kept them within the story and so respiration that whole track is you know it's a long story about you know it's like city living there's so much in there that's packed in there the new moon rose high over kind of metropolis it's it's just such a, a crazy dense song First of all, shout out to High Tech. If it's not the best, one of the best, you know, instrumentals, I think it created one of the best atmosphere for a song i mean you can feel from the opening opening like guitar you just feel like it's it's meant to be sort of a melancholy city and they're telling about like the broken down places it was a way to sort of connect that new york struggle with other regions what's happening in new york is not dissimilar to, from, from what's happening in common south side i think it's a way to make it universal it was just such a 
I don't want to say sad, but, but it, it was sort of sad. So cats BMC and to illustrate what we be seeing. Hard to be a spiritual being when shit is shaking what you believe in. The trees are growing in Brooklyn, seeds need to be planted. I'm asking if y'all feel me and the crowd left me stranded. My blood pressure boils and rose. These New York niggas act to spoil their shows. To the winners, the spoils go. I take the L, transfer to the two, head to the gates. New York life type trife, the Roman Empire State. So much on my mind, I just can't recline. I think I do sort of favor, at least in the nostalgia, I sort of favor melancholy songs. Just because I think when I was learning about everything, especially when I was, you know, learning, I guess, the ropes of being a black man in America and sort of identifying with regional struggles, global struggles, it's a sad time. And it all sort of hit me at once the weight of what's going on. Not just with black people, you know, this injustice, I think, everywhere, you know, I think poverty was, you know, it's definitely one of the big rails of, of hip hop. And I don't think you can have the sort of celebratory atmosphere of other songs without going there first. And it's classic stuff, right? You know, you, you got an album and it's got the rent party on one end and it's got the song about the rent being due and not being able to pay it on the other. And I think they, they go hand in hand, but I think you have to recognize the depth and the, you know, just the profound nature of anybody struggle before you can get to the celebration some of this land i must own out of the city they want us gone tearing down the jacks creating plush homes my circumstances between cabrini and love jones surrounded by hate yet i love home ask my guy how he thought traveling the world sound found it hard to imagine he hadn't been past downtown it's deep i heard the city breathing asleep a reality i touch but for me it's hard to keep it's deep i heard my man breathing asleep a reality I touch, but for me it's hard to keep. So much on my mind, I just can't recline. Blast the holes in the night till she bless sunshine. Breathe in the hell vapors from bright stars to shine. Breathe out, we smoke, we trace the skyline. You how the bass ride out like an ancient mating call. I can't take it, y'all. I can feel the city breathing. Chest heaving against the flesh of the evening. Kiss the eyes goodbye, I'm on the last train leaving. This is one of the... I guess perks of having a historian <laughs> dad. I think from around that time, he decided I was, I guess, old enough to start reading his historical text. One of the first books I remember reading, he let me read The Hobbit if, and only if, I also read the biography of Nat Turner. So on the one hand, I was reading Tolkien, I was reading The Hobbit. On the other hand, I was reading about a slave rebellion. I think that's sort of grounded me for being able to appreciate these sort of things in music and I think there was a sense in his mind that it was something I couldn't wait. Not me growing up early but me being able to understand just exactly what it meant to be in America and to, you know I don't I don't think he was comfortable with letting me go on any further and I think it's you know his family history they, they have a Really long history of I think real talk. Anybody on that side, you know, they'll cuss you the hell out. Starting at ten, so <laughs> that's sort of when we get started. Like I said, that was my tenth birthday. I'd already been through all my dad's old LPs and um, all the music he listened to. I think having that sort of tenure in incubation period with pretty much older music. You know, I spent summers with my grandmother, and I used to listen to Al Green like every day, and you know, stuff even even further back than that. So sort of 
getting into hip hop from there and being able to hear in the samples and sort of concepts they were using that it was all a cycle. Yo, kick down the door in a spot 260, 2L. I heard they had O's for sale. I heard the same shit. Money driver, burgundy whip. Keep a low faded license plates and great paid with the cat from. Think he's from New Jerusalem. Pretty Rick did his thing for him, but he was using him. Bar Sun Jungle Physical, you know the guard, he go with Tim. The one who called love off guard. Why quality self? I know the master law now. It's time to get the guard. You and blow like mine. But on the low, I heard he got born original. Sent back in the drive from Kentucky Fries. Shut up his act. We gotta get him done. Aliens snatching up bread. UFOs moving in with bigger plans than Fed Joe. Knock on daddy O's door. Get the scope. He's not home. He took Ishmael apart slope. They go to Dread Joe. Swindle two bags of that scope. They get you crashed out. Had you laid out like bones. Peace, Kiana. We suck with your girlfriend, Wanda. She drive a cream Honda with legs like Jane Fonda. I just left her. She took Raging in the past. Marked him, jet it taken out to get a man some cloths. He should be back in 90 minutes. Ghost face call for bitch. He's safe. BCW was watching the kids. Two hours later, scheming like De Niro in casino. So I moved around a lot. I was born in Charlotte. I spent those first 10 years in Charlotte. But I guess once your parents get those degrees, you know, they both had to find places that work for them. We moved to Rocky Mount, North Carolina, which is the country country. If Charlotte is south, like, you know, Rocky Mountain is like. They picked tobacco down the street from my school. <laughs> Again, I was weird. I was learning like Elvish from Tolkien in high school. I was learning Esperanto, learned a little bit of Klingon, and I wrote my first short story about science fiction. It was about sort of a uh, space colonizers and some inversions on colonial theory and in, in, in world history. I went to a very, very sort of special school for science kids. So I had a group of friends, and we were all actually black kids. The Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, is almost exclusively black and white. As a gifted kid in a pretty segregated school district, most of my classes were with white kids, and then most of my like hanging out time was with black kids, who were mostly from where I was from. And we used to play Yu-Gi-Oh together. We used to read Tolkien, and we used to get like PVC pipes and roll them up in like rubber and, and, and play sword fights. And after that, we would listen to Outkast and the Woo. It was awesome to have like a shared lingo with these people. And, and, and you know, I think our, our experiences in hip hop and sort of being outside of the main image in hip hop, but also being part of it, you know, I think it just had space for everybody. And we were able to use those spaces to build bonds and, and, and feel at home. Yellow lambs. Yellow MPs, yellow watch, yellow charm ring, chain, yellow living room set, lemonade Gucci shoes for my girl. Scoochie. My girl, I'm sitting on sixes, no twenties in my gun. Look at this motor knocking, because it is a lemma. My wife, I'm Georgia Peaches, but you look more like a lemma. These sour apple bitter bitches, I'm not fucking with them. I'm truly stupid, paid, that's just how I feel today. So the third song is totally different than the first song, Gucci Mane's Lemonade. And I absolutely love Gucci Mane's Lemonade. It came out while I, I think I was a junior in college. And I don't know, that song blew me away. I think it just encapsulates everything about what everybody thinks is wrong about hip hop, but also you know everything that's right about it. To me, it's you know maybe one of the most stylish and, and, and just catchy songs that doesn't compromise 
anything for that catchiness. It's catchy because it's a good song. Catchy because Gucci Man is just on fire. Whole record. I mean, first of all, Gucci Mane can rap. He can rap his ass off. And I, I, I always find it funny that people sort of cast him off with like, I mean, that's a lot of people came out of Atlanta that can't rap. They still had fun records and they still had good records. But a lot of them, they simply don't have the chop. But Gucci Mane, I mean, he could always rap and he never really made it a big secret. There's a certain segment of hip hop that, that I, I think just hates people having fun. They hate people having fun if they can't flow like other rappers and they don't have a message or doesn't have enough snare. I can't really call it, but I, I do think there's people who believe that like party music, empty music. I never held that opinion because I think one of the beauties about hip hop is the duality. Historically, like we've had party records for 30 damn years. So I went to Morehouse College in Atlanta. This song was very, very special in Atlanta sort of hip hop history. It's like you, I don't know if there were, you could go a day that year when it came out without walking on campus and it playing. We, you know, we didn't usually have DJs in the cafeteria. I, I went to the cafeteria one day and there was a DJ sitting by the stir fry line playing Lemonade back to back to back. Lemonade was all purpose. Like people were going to strip clubs listening to Lemonade. You could get out and the people were listening to Lemonade outside of church. We listen to Lemonade in the chapels in Morehouse. It's an all purpose, universal fun song. And, you know, just being in Atlanta at the time, I think I was really blessed. Going back to Outkast, that played no small part in my choosing Morehouse. Outkast played Morehouse's homecoming concert, I want to say in 96. And they um, always weave references to, you know, Atlanta University Center, which was Morehouse, Spellman, Clark, Morris Brown. I mean, they have a song called Morris Brown. And so I already had really like this mythology of Morehouse in my head from Outkast. And I, I think a lot of their style sort of begat what Gucci Mane was, at least on Lemon. Whether you like it or not, he's bad. D-A-double-D-Y, fat sex. So, this is a story I tell everybody about my first day in Atlanta. My parents dropped me off. They're not really big helicopter parents. They dropped me off and left, like, the day of orientation. They drove back to North Carolina the moment they got me a jug of juice and some toilet tissue. They were gone. And so, while everybody else was out at orientation events, I was kind of depressed. I turned the TV on, and I don't know. I thought I was tripping because I saw a black stock market analyst on the news they cut to the anchor and the anchor was black they cut to the weatherman and the weatherman was black and i sat there and watched the damn local news for two hours 
because I was just enthralled by the fact that there were black people on local television. I think that's Atlanta in a, nuts, in a nutshell for me. I was walking around for, for four years, just in awe at, you know, they had black politicians. The mayor was always black while I was there. They still had the, the, the rich history of the civil rights movement. I was able to meet members of the King family. I had classes from Dr. Andrew Young. I also went to an HBCU, so I think that's part of the experience. Damn, in, in Atlanta, you can see how those things, how that music can come out of that place. It's absolutely amazing. Bend the corners like a crowbar, oh so unique. Got the pedal to the floor, but the photo don't just creep. creep. Exotic melodic melody, Jeff, we got funky for the funk of it, and everybody want it. You make a nigga put a dog on it. You make a nigga put a dog on it. In Atlanta, I got started doing sort of journalism and blogging also. And I w worked for a lot of the local newspapers. There was a paper out in a neighborhood called Five Points. Worked on some of the school papers. And a lot of it was about, you know, culture stuff in, in Atlanta, the, the music scene coming from Rocky Mount and being dropped off in the middle of like this happening place where so much was going on. Like it was like just being overwhelmed. And writing was how I coped with it. Writing was how I synthesized all that shit. Being able to put into words how I thought Outkast made Gucci Mane possible. I wrote that article. A lot of people thought it was bullshit at the time. Now I think they're coming around. Being in Atlanta and being at a you know historically black college, a lot of people like to say that that you know you don't have a diversity there. But for me, it was the first opportunity to be able to be exposed to that diversity within the culture, be able to you know hang out. And I think a lot of it was through hip hop, was be able to be at a table with people who grew up listening to Jay Z, people who for whatever reason still thought Nori was the greatest rapper of all time. <laughs> You know, just being able to sit at a table with people, you know, from the West Coast, you know, a lot of people from uh, California were in Morehouse, helped me understand my blackness better and also helped me understand sort of like the big picture, you know, like race, race relations with each other. And moving out from Atlanta, having gone there from a place where I was almost totally immersed in, you know, really segregated situations and leaving there and going to a place that was pretty segregated afterwards. I went to UNC Chapel Hill and, you know, right now I work in, in downtown DC, which people call Chocolate City, but you can still go a day and not see any black folks if you work in the right places. I think that sort of enclave is so necessary to be able to understand what we need to do to sort of come together and be what we want to be. Atlanta wasn't perfect, but I think the kids there, they get to see people who, of all colors who are sort of making the rules and making the decisions. I think that has, you know, no matter how long you stay there, I was only there for four years, but I still think it has such an impact on how I see people and how in the potential I see in, you know, where we could be.
So I went to grad school for health policy. I got into some public health work while I was in undergrad and decided it was something I wanted to look into. So went straight through and got a job right out. I work in health policy now. I do a lot of work with health disparities. So I think a lot of in my work in general is, is fairness and justice. So I understand everything about fairness and justice through two, two people. <laughs> One is Immanuel Kant. Categorical imper imperatives made a, a big difference on my life. And I think I understood everything up until then, sort of by the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Categorical imperatives shift that. It makes a, a, a rule universal. And it makes a rule that you should always just basically treat people as their own people, you know, as fully realized ends and not manipulate them for your own purpose. Second for me was actually Pimp C. I think so highly of Pimp C. And I think a lot of that is me learning about him first through Outcast. And they thought so highly of him. That, that man is a damn philosopher. And I don't think he gets his credit. So you listen to Jay-Z's Fuck With Me, You Know I Got It. And the, the monologue at the beginning where, you know, he says, uh, he's talking about people getting criticized for wearing, you know, being flashy and wearing gold chains. And he's like, you know, you can't criticize the youngsters. They come from Africa. It's in our blood. I don't believe we were all kings and queens in Africa, black people, but I do think he touches on something that's really deep about sort of the impulse towards flashiness in, you know, a lot of places that are in poverty, a lot of cultures that have been associated with like being marginalized. And I don't think it's a stretch to think that he knew exactly what he was saying about that. Of course, he also had a song called Hairy Asshole. So yeah, <laughs> you, you take one with the other, but, um, Pepsi, you know, he, he said a lot of things that really hit me. Coach landed in Rome, nigga. Oh, hell sees his home, niggas. Chin Don, Chow Bella. Come money dance with the good fellas. Hope keep getting at the narrow, got it. Even if a nigga got I work in health policy now, but I write almost another full-time job freelance work i have my own site and my own blog so one of the guiding principles of my work is, is tracing through music tracing that history black history through music it may be the purest form of the history that we have it, it, it's the way we started telling black history was, was through songs in the field cats have been freestyling for 400 years like that's nothing new so i think for me and this is the reason why i love music so much and that's the reason why i love american music the reason why I love hip hop music so much is it, it's the story is embedded, and no matter what the artists are saying themselves, the artist is a story. For me, Outkasts themselves, they are a story. They're a story you can reach back and touch Sun Ra. You can reach back and touch George Clinton. You can go much further back. You can reach back and touch Mahalia from Outkast, and even with people who we consider to be on the hollow end of things, like Gucci Mane. For me. You can reach back and touch Little Richard from Gucci Mane, James Brown, even when you don't have lyrics that explicitly talk about a struggle or talk about a message. People just can't help picking up what's been done before. And I think the history is there. And I'm in denial 
And it don't take no x-ray to see right through my smile I know I'll be on the go And it ain't no drink out there that can numb my soul Oh no Van Newkirk, a.k.a. Five-Fifths, a.k.a. Webby or W-E-B-B-I-E, Du Bois. I think they're three personas that are sort of converging right now. I started blogging and writing as Five-Fifths. Uh, it's been six years now. I thought it was a good pen name to hide what I was doing from my employer. There's only so long you can hide what you're doing from your employers if you want to take it to a certain place. I started writing stories with the intent of getting them published. Once you get them published, you can't really hide that shit from your bosses. I started writing articles about what was going on in the world to me. Ended up writing about Ferguson and it resonated with a lot of people. And I don't think you can write about Ferguson for GQ without your bosses figuring out. The Webby Du Bois thing actually is connected to that. I had a really big period, I think, where, I don't know if I'm out of the period, but where, where the goings-on with Trayvon Martin, with Mike Brown, with Tamir Rice, with Eric Garner, they, they, they hit me. I sat down and thought every morning, you know, I can't believe I got to go through this shit every day again. On social media, I had some quote, I think, where I said, system cannot fail those it was never built to protect. And just as a joke, I like to make my little real name on Twitter puns on civil rights leaders' name. It's still Webby Du Bois. Had this happened two weeks earlier, it would have been Dr. Martin Luther Chains. And people saw the quote and actually thought the W.E.B. Du Bois said it. That's why I haven't left that name behind. I think it's actually taken on a life of its own. And people come up to me and they say, that meant a lot to me. It's actually on somebody's, it's on a couple of tombstones. For people now and that's a weight but it's also an acknowledgement knowing that my words have had some sort of impact on anybody i think i can like die and know that i did work that was good it's, it's an excellent feeling and it, but it does carry weight you got to keep doing it you can't get too caught up in in, in being depressed people are counting on you and, and that's what it all means and he started to get down but the officer still approached with his weapon drawn and he fired several more shots Hip-hop matters because hip-hop is history. Hip-hop is black history. We want to say black lives matter. We want to say these people on the screen matter. Hip-hop as an evolution of that history, it matters just as much as those lives.